0: come alive to us. That's a promise that we can take from his word. It's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, It's the word of God that changes us. When Paul left the Ephesian elders, he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 23 verses 1 through 11. We'll actually pick up the story in chapter 22, verse 30. Paul has been arrested. He's given his defense before the multitudes. He said one word, the word Gentile. And a very intent mob then was ready to take things into their own hands and kill him. He was rescued by the Roman soldiers. They're about to scourge him and he says you've already done this once to me in Philippi. I'm not going there again. I'm a Roman citizen. You guys can't do this. So the next day The Sanhedrin comes together, and here Paul finds himself in verse 30 of chapter 22, the next day, because he wanted to know for certainty why he was accused by the Jews. He released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, whitewashed wall." For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Then Paul perceived that one part was Sadducee, the other Pharisee, And he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. And concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angels, no spirits. But the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose an allow, a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisee party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But... The following night, the Lord stood by him. There's three things I want us to see in this verse. One, it was the following night. Second, the Lord stood by him. And thirdly, the Lord said, be of good cheer, or many translations say, take courage, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness of me at Rome. Father, we ask God that you might take this word, write it in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we in America, we in the Western world, are finally understanding what the rest of the world has gone through since the crucifixion of Christ. And that is persecution for their faith. All we have to do is pick up the Fox's Book of Martyrs. All we have to do is read about the underground church in Asia or the 1040 window in the Middle East to know that your people are a people that have been persecuted for their faith that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And, Father, I pray today that we would take heed to what the Spirit of God says to us. Lord, we, as your people, we need to take courage. We need to be courageous. We need to be bold. We need to confront lies with truth. We need to do it graciously. We need to do it with humility. Do it confidently. Father, I pray for us as North Valley Bible Church that, God, that we would be unashamed of the testimony of Christ for you have not given us a spirit of fear. You have given us a spirit of power and love and a kind, confident, and sound mind. And so, Father, I pray God that we as your church would shine bright in northern Utah. Father, I pray that the gospel would be shod on our feet. Father, I pray that when we leave this assembly today that we would go out with courage to take the gospel with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe may be seated. Um, I think all of our kids are already gone out to Children's Church. So, um, to give a little background drop to this council that Paul is being hauled in front of, the last time that Paul spoke about going to Jerusalem, he was with a group of elders that pastored the churches in Asia Minor. He called them to Miletus and he said, I want to speak to you, and he didn't know what was going to happen to him when he got back to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. All he knew is that he was bound in the spirit to go back to Jerusalem, that God was compelling him. God was driving him to go back to his own country, to his own people, to give a testimony about Christ. And he said, I eventually want to get back to Rome, not back to Rome. He'd never been to Rome. Paul had a passionate desire to get to the providential capital of this empire to influence them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he got to the Ephesian elders, he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Except every city I go to, the Holy Spirit says, bonds and afflictions await me. And he says, I don't count my life dear to myself. I want to finish the course. I want to run the race that God has called me to testify of the gospel of grace. He says, I don't want anything to hinder me. I want to tell as many people as I can that you can have a relationship with God. I don't care if they're Jew. I don't care if they're barbarian. I don't care if they're Scythian. I don't care if they're slave. I don't care if they're free. Men, women, everyone needs to hear the message about Jesus. And I am willing to go to Jerusalem and be arrested, to be beaten. Doesn't matter. I want to go because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is what Paul said to the Romans. Because it alone is the power of God unto salvation. What mankind needs more than anything else is reconciliation with God. What peace that affords you. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what problems that you've got in your home or in your business or in your bank account or whatever's going on. But God does. God knew exactly where the Apostle Paul was. He knew that he was standing before the council. He knew that he was in Jerusalem. He knew he, was he knew what was going to happen. He went to the city of Tyre, and he stayed there for seven days. And the Spirit of God testified, they are going to incarcerate this man. He gets to the city of Caesarea. Abagus comes down from Jerusalem, and he grabs a hold of Paul's belt, and he wraps it around himself. He says, they're going to bind the man who wears this. And they pleaded with Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem. And when he couldn't be persuaded, they ceased. And they said, the will of God be done. Paul was in the center of God's will, and yet he found himself in the midst of turmoil. So if you're in the midst of turmoil today, it might be because you're right where God wants you to be. And you can take courage. Take courage. The Lord knows exactly what you've been through, and he knows exactly what you're going to face, and he knows the plans that he has planned for you. He has plans to prosper you. He has plans to, to, to finish out what he's called you to do. Paul was called to go to the city of Rome, and here God, the Holy Spirit, tells him through Jesus, through this vision, as you have testified to me in Jerusalem, you are going to make it to the city of of Rome. There's three times in the book of Acts where visions came in Paul's life. Every one of them was at a crunch time. At a time of severe need. God was right there when Paul needed him the most. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 18 and we'll see not 1 Corinthians 18 chapters in Corinthians anyway <laughs> 16, so he couldn't find it. That was just a test question. Okay, now, seriously, Acts 18, he's in Corinth. Paul's in Corinth, and this is the first time where he has a vision. And you can see why God gives him a vision in this situation. Acts chapter 18, verse 6. We see many Jews, many Gentiles coming to Christ. Paul was compelled by the Spirit to testify to Jews, that Jesus is the Christ in verse six of chapter eighteen of Acts. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garment and said, "Your blood be upon your own heads." I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, and all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. Paul, I know that in Corinth a lot of things are going on. Your worship house is right next door to the synagogue. Christmas just got saved. The ruler of the synagogue got saved. I know that persecution is right on the horizon, Paul. But Paul, do not fear. Do not keep silent. I am right here. I am with you. I know what's going on. Same thing in Acts chapter 23. That very night, the Lord stood by him and he said, Paul, be of good cheer. Take courage. As you have testified to me in Jerusalem, you're going to testify to me in Rome. Now he, we're going to fast forward. He's on his trip to Rome And he's in the middle of a gale storm on the Adriatic Sea. So turn over to Acts chapter 27. And we see a tempest here. And again, the Lord sends Paul a special vision right when he needs it. Acts chapter 27, verse 10. Acts 27, verse 10, saying, "Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of cargo but ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded than the helmsman of the ownership than the things spoken by Paul. And because of this, the harbor was suitable to winter in, and the majority advised to set sail. And so they they, they, they out on this, this storm. And then if you drop, drop down to verse 21, we'll see God giving Paul a vision. Verse 21, But after a long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will by no means loss of life among you, but only the ship. Verse 23, For there stood By me, this night, an angel of the God to whom I belong. I hope that little phrase gives you incredible courage this morning. Look what Paul said. The God to whom I belong. I belong. I've got someone who cares about me. I've got someone who knows me. And I have an angel who takes care of me. God has given you a ministering spirit to watch over you. And you can take courage. God knows everything you're going through. Paul was on this ship. He's heading to Rome. Am I going to make it to Rome? And God sends him an angel that night and says, Paul, the God that you serve, the God that you belong to, he has given you assurance that you're going to make it to Rome. Let's read the rest of this verse. And to whom you serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God's heard your prayers. God's answered your prayers. He is with you. Now, this is what's happening to the Apostle Paul. What's happening all throughout the Western world is is pretty unique right now. In Dublin last week, the Garda went in to a worship service and tried to stop it. A pastor in Canada was incarcerated for holding church services. Another pastor in Canada this past week had to shout out the police out the door to keep them from shutting down a worship service. We are living times that are unprecedented in the Western world right now. It is illegal in the country of Ireland to assemble together as believers. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what our future holds, but we know the one who holds the future, don't we? And we are living in perilous times a bit, but God wants us to take courage. Now, how do we do that? How, do we, how can I and you take courage? One, we live with a pure conscience. The wicked flee when nobody's chasing them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Why? Because they have a pure conscience. Have you ever done something and you're just waiting for somebody to find out about it? And every time they come around the corner, you're going, "Ah, oh, what did I do now? Or, I'm, I'm going to give a little illustration, and Brendan's probably not going to appreciate it. <laughs> but I told Brendan, I says, when you live with a pure conscience, you don't have to have anything to worry about. But he got an email from some unnamed person that said that they wanted to meet him before school. And Brendan's mind was racing like a mile, a minute, saying, what did I do? What did I say? Where did I go? And I said, Brendan? I says, if everything's all right, you don't have to worry. I says, but if there's been something that ought not to have been said or done or a behavior. And I think he knew exactly what I meant, that when you live with a pure conscience, you can live without fear, And you have absolutely nothing to hide. You can put it all on the table. This is exactly the way Paul lived his life. He lived it all on the table. He said, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is the way I teach. This is the way I live my life. And I have lived with a pure conscience before God. He says, I have got nothing to hide you want to be a courageous person, the invaluableness of a pure conscience. It gives you grit. It gives you stick It just helps you persevere and keep going because you know you're doing the right thing for the right motives. And you start questioning those things and a lot of your courage goes right out the window. Paul said, I have lived with a pure conscience. The word to live, the prefix for that word is the word poly, which means a city in the Greek language. So the idea of what Paul is saying is I've lived as a citizen of the Jewish community. I have not violated any of the laws of the Jewish diet. I've not violated any of the ceremonial laws. In fact, I came to Jerusalem because I has a Nazarite vow on myself. Not only did I have a Nazarite vow, I took six other men into the temple with me. I paid in full their their, their vows. And at the end of that week, they took Paul and they said, This fellow transgresses the laws of Moses. He has spoken against this temple, and he has desecrated it by bringing Gentiles in here. And Paul stood before this council with a pure conscience. He says, I've got nothing to hide. Every accusation against me is false. He has nothing to hide. A pure conscience. You want to be bold, you want to be courageous, live with a pure conscience. Because you've got nothing to hide. Notice also that Paul had nothing to fear. He did not fear man. When he said he had a pure conscience, the high priest, Ananias, was right there and said, strike this man against, in the mouth. Now the word strike isn't a slap. It is a blow. It's the same word that was used when they were striking Jesus during his scourging. It was a punch. I mean, it was a full-out knockout blow. Sean, I mean, it was some of that martial arts stuff. (laughs) Like, wow, he was going to get it. And Paul had no fear of his position because he didn't recognize it. Now, I want to kind of walk through my study with you, and I'm not going to drag you through all of my word study. But in verse 5... I think what Paul is saying, and I could be wrong, there's there's several options of verse 5 how to interpret this, but I just want to give you what I think is the best understanding of verse 5. When Paul looks at this guy who's about ready to strike him on the mouth, and this is what he says. Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the rule of your people. The word to know. There's two words in the original language for know, knowledge. One is gnosko, or Gnosticism, which is an understanding, a perception. And the other word means to acknowledge or to recognize. That's the word that's used here. It's translated know, but it means to acknowledge or to recognize that position. It's also, in the past tense, it says that he was the high priest. The direct article is not found in the original language either, so it could be I did not recognize that this man is a high priest. In fact, I looked it up in the um, a, a translation that is very literal. It's called um, a... Sorry for my stumbling around here. Amplified Bible. <laughs> the Amplified Bible reads like this. I was not conscious that he is a high priest. Now, you've got to look into a little bit of the background as well. The history, Ananias was an appointee by the Roman Empire. He was very, very pro-Roman policies. He was very, very anti-Jewish. Josephus writes volumes about this guy. And eventually, there was an overthrow in Jerusalem around 66 AD, and this guy is put to death by his own Jewish people. So I think that the best understanding of this verse is Paul is saying... I have no fear of you. I fear only God. You have no sway. You have absolutely no authority in my life because you are a usurper. I don't acknowledge you. I don't recognize you as a high priest because the Bible says if you were the high priest, I should honor you. The same idea when they came to Jesus and said, Herod, the king, wants to see you, and Jesus calls Herod a fox. He says, go tell that fox. I do miracles and cures and tomorrow I'm going to be slain and I'm going to raise myself up in three days. I don't recognize him. Why? Because Herod was not the rightful heir of the throne. Jesus Christ himself was. And here's my point. My point is when we recognize God as our only and absolute authority, we don't have to fear people. We fear God. When Jesus sent the 70 out, and when he sent the 12 out, this is what he said. Fear them not which kill the body. Paul, don't fear this guy who can strike you on the face. Fear only the one who's able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who will destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one farthing? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear them not, for you are more valuable than sparrows. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. So when you've got a pure conscience, you don't have anything to hide, and you don't have anything to fear. You can take courage today because God will give you the wisdom when you need it. God doesn't give you grace for something that you're not going to go through until you go through it. Paul had no idea what was about to happen here. He had no advance warning. He said, there's nobody that said, Paul, come and get all of your record together. Write out your testimony. Make sure you've got all your witnesses that you can call them. No, the next day he's called in before the Sanhedrin, 70 men who are out to kill him. He's got no preparation time, and he has got to give his defense now. The Bible promises wisdom in two two circumstances. We will have wisdom when you and I face trials. God promises that to us. He promises you wisdom when you face a trial, James chapter 1. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfecting work in you, that you might be entire perfect, lacking absolutely nothing. And if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and it will be given to him liberally, and he upbraids not. God will lavish that wisdom on us when we need it. The other time when God promises us wisdom is when we are testifying for Jesus and we're brought before other people as a result of persecution. Luke 21, 15, And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, brethren, in your hearts, not to meditate before what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom with which your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. God gives grace for every trial right when we need it. Now, when is it correct, when is it right, if ever, to resist authorities? When is, it, when is it biblically correct to resist authority? Look at Paul here. and I think we find three principles that will give us courage if we should ever have to resist authority. When authority usurps, it's God-given purpose. Government is to restrain evil. Government is given to protect your rights. And when they usurp that authority, we have the right as Bible-believing Christians to stand up and say no. This is what Paul did. Their hypocrisy needed to be exposed. Paul called Ananias nothing but a whitewashed wall. He spoke truth to that man because his position was not recognized by him. When truth was going to be compromised, he says, you're supposed to judge me according to the law, and you have compromised the law. And thirdly, when evil is perceived as just, that's when we need, as conscientious Christians, to say no. I fear God. Take courage. Be courageous. The promise for wisdom. God gave it to Paul right when he needed it. Verse 6. When Paul perceived that one part was Sadducee and the other part Pharisee, Paul had no idea how he was going to handle the situation, then it just hit him. Notice that little phrase, when he perceived it. God gave him, the, I think that's a little thing to say, God has just given you the wisdom. God has just given you the ticket out of here, Paul. They want to kill you. They are going to stone you. And Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he didn't premeditate any of this. God gave him the wisdom when he needed it. And God will do the same for you because you and I can stand on the word of God and the promises of God that he will do that for us. He says, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. And he split the whole meeting apart, and it turned into a completely different discussion. It turned into a discussion that Paul really wanted to go. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you guys to debate truth. I want you to be confronted with the reality that Jesus Christ is God incarnate that Jesus Christ is your Messiah, that Jesus Christ can alone save sin because he raised himself from the dead. God intervened at that moment. Look at verse 10 of chapter 23. Now there arose a great dissension. The commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force and bring them into the barracks, God came to the rescue. This week, I've been reading through the book of Psalms. I sent one of them verses to Jordan that impressed on me this week, and another one when I was studying, I thought, wow, this fits into my sermon, so I'm going to go ahead and include it, Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light, and my salvation, whom... Shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The pathway to courage. Three steps that I want you to see in verse 11. Three paths to courage from verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by and said to Paul, The first thing that I want us to notice is that God was well aware of his circumstances, and God is well aware of your circumstances. God is never too early, but God is never late. It was on the following night. Paul couldn't have had a message more needed than that moment right there. He has just stood before the Sanhedrin. He has just testified to all of his countrymen on the steps of the barracks. They're throwing dirt in the air. They're ripping their clothes off. They were beating him. They wanted to kill him. And on the following night, the Lord was there. The Lord knows exactly where you have been. The Lord knows exactly when you need to hear his word, and he has exactly what you need to hear Take courage because God is well aware of your circumstances. As I was meditating on the idea of taking courage, I couldn't help but think of Joshua, right? Joshua chapter 1, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For in the doing you will have good success, and whatsoever you do shall prosper, therefore... Be strong and courageous, for the Lord thy God is with you, whithersoever thou goest, Joshua. Joshua, take courage. God is with you. And God came to Joshua, and he knew exactly what Joshua's circumstances were as well. That whole passage starts out by saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now, Joshua, you take them over. It wasn't like God didn't know anything about Joshua's predicament, Joshua's dilemma. Joshua was just losing his leader. God says, I know exactly where you're at. I know you've got to get on the other side of the Jordan, Joshua. And I'm aware that your master, your servant, who you served, is dead. Now, Joshua, you do it. God knows your circumstances today. He knows exactly what you need. Not only that, but the Lord is near. The Lord stood by him that night. We have a promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's also from the book of Joshua. And it's quoted again in the book of Hebrews, For you and I. This is a universal promise to all of us. Let your conduct be without covetousness. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think the writer of Hebrews was conflating and putting together Joshua chapter 1 and Psalm 27. The Lord knows exactly what we need and knows our circumstances. God is also near and Paul knew this all so well. Sometimes when you're in the hardest place, that's when God is the most evident and real in your life. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, I had the sentence of death in my life. Now, why did he have that? So that I should not trust in myself, but I should trust the God who raises the dead. Paul is right here, and he's not trusting in himself. He's just stood before a council of 70 men who have the power to put him to death, and Jesus says, I am right here with you. The third thing is that we need to know the promises of God. What was Paul's promise? The promise was pretty short, wasn't it? The first is an imperative, but it's not a command. The imperative isn't always used as a command in the New Testament, but it has this idea always. A superior is talking to a subordinate to inspire from his will to the will of his subordinate. In this case, it's Jesus. He is the infinite superior. He is sovereign God. He controls everything. And he is speaking to his subordinate. He speaks to you and I. And he says, be of good cheer. It's an imperative. I want you to take heart. I want you to take courage. That's coming from Christ. This word, to take courage, is found eight times. There we go. Eight times in the New Testament. All eight of them are references to Jesus. I'll just give you a couple of them. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2, they're lowering a paralytic down. And out of the mouth of Jesus, take courage. Be of good cheer. A woman who's got a flow of blood, and she comes up and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. The same exact words. Be of good cheer. My favorite one is John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus says this to all of us today. In the world you will have tribulation. What's the next words out of Jesus' mouth? Be of good cheer. And then he ends it with a promise. Be of good cheer for I have over. Come the world. What can they do to God's people? What can they do to us as His church? They can't do anything. We have no fear of man. We don't have to hide anything. Live as a pure conscience before our government. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 that when they speak evil of us as evildoers they may be ashamed when they observe our good conversation in Christ for it is better if the will of God be so If you and I suffer for well-doing, then for evil. Because Christ has left us an example to follow in his steps. We have nothing to fear. God loves you more than he loves a sparrow, and he knows when every sparrow falls to the ground. And for some of us guys, it's a lot easier to know how many hairs are on our head. We've got a good crop of hair out here for you men. The Lord knows us. The Lord is near us. And the Lord gives us promises. So we ought to be a courageous people. Application this morning. Just kind of a rehash of what I've already said. God knows what you've been through. God knows what you've been through this morning. Take courage. God knows what you're going to face tomorrow. It might be a storm. It might be a tempest. You might be in the middle of some kind of wreckage. And God knows what you're about to face. And he says, I am going to get you to your destination. You're going to arrive what I've called you to do, and you're going to complete that task. Take courage. God has not given you and I a spirit of cowardice. God has given us a spirit of power and love and a confident mind. When you face trials, you can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you liberally and he won't upbraid you when you're asking for help. Courage comes when I know that God has an intimate knowledge of me Courage comes when I know that God's presence is right here with me and he'll never leave me and forsake me. Courage comes when I stand on the promises of God and not on my feelings. Be of good cheer today. Our Savior has overcome the world. Let's close the prayer. Father, You are such an intimate God. I'm sure Paul, in that prison cell, felt like he was all alone until that vision burst on his sight and the Lord Jesus stood beside him. And he said, be of good cheer. Father God, I pray this morning that we would realize that you are right here with us through the power of the Holy Spirit and that you want us to be people of courage and to take good cheer. Lord, you know me. Lord, you know what I'm going to face tomorrow. Lord, you are right here with me. And God, you have given me promises whereby I can finish what you have asked me to do. As your church... Father, make us a courageous people for your glory in Jesus' name.